Father, as we uh, come to this sermon time now, I pray that we would understand your love better this morning and that we would be able to see how it impacts this community of people, how we're supposed to love each other, what that looks like, and maybe even the next steps on how to do it well. So please help us. Please be with us this morning. May your spirit guide us along into truth and into love. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in getting ready for the Heaven series, what I wanted to do was, was three messages about who we are as a church, what kind of community we are, and that is we are a community of faith, hope, and love. Now, I'm alternating uh, hope and love. I'm doing love today and, and hope next week because I think hope kind of gets into the Heaven series a little bit you know, as we, as we go into that. But uh, love being the greatest, I could have saved it for last, but I didn't. We're doing it today. Uh, so I think it's okay. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever quite preached a sermon like this. Uh, what I want to do this morning is, is I want to look at 1 Corinthians 13, but from you know, you know the, the view from 2,000 feet above. I, I want to look down at the book of 1 Corinthians, see 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you know that chapter. You know, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, love never fails, and, and all the rest. Uh, and, and these things remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. That, that's an awesome chapter, and, and you see it at weddings, and, and it's incredibly poetic. I want to take a look from above. Now, some of you love the views from above. Some of you have climbed mountains, and, and, and you've been able to look down when you've reached the summit. Uh, some of you have gone up into skyscrapers, and, and you're in Chicago in the Willis Building, and, and you're looking down. They have that thing now at the, at the, um, the Hancock Building where you're standing in this little glass thing. I didn't do it because I'm too chicken. But it like tilts you out into the city, you know, like, and, and you're looking down. Again, I didn't do it, but, but it looks amazing. But there, there's something about being up high and looking down and seeing things you haven't seen before. So I'm hoping this morning is the same way, that as we take a look from above, maybe we can see some things in 1 Corinthians we haven't seen before. Okay, now you know where we're going. That's what we're doing. So would you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I do want to read through the whole thing, and then uh, we'll take a look at what this means. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Many consider this to be one of the most poetic, beautiful, powerful chapters in all of our Bibles. This, this poem on love, what it is, what it's not. It's interesting where love occurs in this whole thing. If you look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that Paul's getting into a new section. Uh, a couple of things I'll tell you about the Corinthian church maybe before we look at that. Uh, most of you know that the Corinthian church had a lot of problems, you know. I mean, you might think you might think the church can have trouble, but when you start fighting over communion, you know your church has trouble. I mean, that's First Corinthians 11. You know, you got to deal with the fights that break out over the Lord's Supper. Thank goodness we don't have that. So, the Corinthian church has so many issues that there's immorality issues, there's communion issues, marriage issues, uh, spiritual gifts issues. It just goes on and on. But what he wants to do is he wants to deal with this issue right now in the church where people are thinking that if they speak in tongues, that makes them more spiritual than other people in the church. That if they can have this language that's been given to them by a miracle of God, that that somehow means they're super spiritual and others clearly are not as spiritual. And Paul wants to correct that and say, no, no, no. We're all one in the body of Christ here. There's no levels of Christianity, which, by the way, is an issue today in some churches where we try to have these levels of Christianity. Um, and so what he does here in chapter 12, if you look at 12.1, he says, Now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. So scholars tell us, and I'm telling you, that chapter 12 is like a new section in 1 Corinthians. Like Paul likes to use the word now. Now I want to talk about marriage. Now I want to talk about this. And in chapter 12 he says, now I want to talk about gifts of the Spirit. I want you to kind of, we're changing topics here. So 12, 13, and 14 are considered one unit in the book of 1 Corinthians. Remember I'm saying, we're, we're looking at this from above now. We're looking down and we're trying, to, we're trying to mark out the sections in this letter. Now how do I know it's over after chapter 14? Well, if you look at 15, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, so there it is again, right? He's switching topics. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's changing topics. He tells them that. It's pretty clear when Paul is changing what, you know, his topic in the book. So you have 12, 13, and 14 that form a unit in the book of 1 Corinthians. The purpose of chapter 12 is to try to let everybody know you're all important in the body of Christ and God has given you gifts. You all belong here. So um, he wants to say, uh, if you look, look at verse 2, you know when you were pagans somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols 
Therefore, I want you to know, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing he says here, because it's like, can you say Jesus is Lord? Then you're spiritual. You, you don't have to speak in tongues to be spiritual. You have to be able to say, Jesus is Lord. Because if you can say that and mean it, that means the Holy Spirit's working in you. You see, that levels the playing field. And then he says in verse 4, there's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. And then he goes on to say, uh, verse 15, he uses this image of the body, that we're Jesus' body. And, and so some of you are feet, some of you are hands, some of you are eyes, some of you are mouths. And he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. It's like, if you feel bad because you don't have flashy spiritual gifts that everyone notices... It doesn't mean that you're not essential to the body of Christ. We need you. We need your gifts. We need to build each other up. So that, that's chapter 12. Chapter 14. Take a look at that real quick. Follow the way of love. This is verse 1. Eagerly, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He says in verse 2, For anyone who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries in the Spirit. And then he goes on uh, to say, let's jump down to um, verse 18. I thank God that I, that's Paul, speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he says, it's important that you exercise spiritual gifts to build other people up, not just you. Because if you're speaking in tongues and you're having this moment where you're doing this thing, you may feel really close to God in that moment that you're speaking in tongues. But no one else around you is being built up. We need people using their gifts to build others up. And to drive home his point, he says in verse 26, What shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation? Everything must be done so the church may be built up. God gave you spiritual gifts not to make you look good, not to make yourself feel better, even though when I use my gifts, I do feel close to God, and that's fine. When you use your gifts, you should feel close to God too. That's fine. But the point is not to build me up. The point is to build you up. And your gift is there to build other people up. So whether that's teaching Sunday school or cleaning something up or making a meal for someone who's stuck in their home or visiting someone in the hospital, I don't care what it is, if you serve people, you're building them up, and you're essential to the body of Christ. That's what Paul's getting at in 12 and 14. Now, verse 13 comes between 12 and or, sorry, chapter 13 comes between 12 and 14. I know. I went to seminary for, to tell you that, right? 13 comes between 12 and 14. And I'm saying we believe this is the inspired word of God. And we can see that Paul has a section in mind here. Spiritual gifts is what he's talking about. And he plants love in the middle of it. Do you know what he's saying? Do you know what God is saying? That God has ordained that love be experienced within the community of the church. That God desires His love to be on display in this community, in the center of it. It's at the center of everything we do. 
plant it right there. 13 is between 12 and 14. Yes, I am free to, and to tutor kids in math. I, I'm good. I'm good, really. Um, let me explain that for a second to you. What, what, what do I mean when I say that, that it's in the center, that God has ordained it, God wants it? Let me explain it in three ways, what I'm talking about. Um, number one, what I'm saying is, and what, what the Lord is saying to us, is the glories of his love are experienced inside the community of the church. The glories of his love, the beauty of it, you know, how great is love, you experience here in the church. This is where it's at. Now, I showed you chapter 12 and I showed you chapter 14. Love is the antidote for us feeling prideful about our spirituality, you know? For people, they can speak in tongues and they feel like they're better than everybody else, and I've met a few of those. If you love people, you wouldn't think so highly of yourself. You'd realize God gave you the gift of tongues for other people. If you're a teacher and people love listening to you talk, you'd realize God gave you that gift to build up other people, not to make a name for yourself. If you're good at caring for people, and you're the one people want beside their hospital bed, you're the one people want to have over to their house, let's say you're an encourager and you build people up, and everybody wants to be around you because you know how to encourage so well. It's just this attractive gift God didn't give you the gift of encouragement to gather yourself a huge amount of friends so you could feel better about yourself. He gave you the gift to build other people up. And love solves that. So uh, the glories of love are experienced inside the community of the church. I want to say something else about this. Um, When we think of Christian love, when we think of love, we often think of romantic love. I mean, that's when you hear someone mention the word love, our, our minds often go towards romance. So um, I want to show you chapter 7. Look at chapter 7. We have the word now again. So here's another section Paul gives us. Now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, he's quoting them here. He's not saying it's actually good not to have a sexual relationship. He's saying, you're telling me it'd be good not to. But since... Sexual morality is occurring. Each man should have a sexual relations with his wife, each woman with her husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. And then he goes on the rest of the chapter to talk about marriage, to talk about divorce, to talk about singleness, the whole range of romantic issues. And you know what word is not in chapter 7? Love. What? No, wait, 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 wait. We still have first Ephesians chapter 5, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah. And when a, when a husband and wife become one, it's a picture of Jesus and the church. Romantic love is a picture of Jesus and the church. I'm not preaching about that today. I'm looking at 1 Corinthians, and I'm just telling you, Paul doesn't use the word love in 1 Corinthians 7. But he uses it between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Do you see what I'm saying? The glories of his love, not the leftovers. I'm talking about the best is experienced in the community of the church. Yes, marriage also. Yes. I'm not preaching about marriage today. I'm talking about the church. Have you ever sold 
love short in the church? Have you ever thought to yourself, the church doesn't get love right, it's really kind of weak in this, and, and I just... Have you ever sold love short and thought, I'll never experience it in a church? I hope, for the sake of the Word of God, that you'll reconsider that. If you've ever been hurt by somebody in the church, maybe you've said, well, clearly love failed because I was hurt, I was offended, or I was sinned against. Yes, unfortunately the church is made up of sinners, now called saints, because that's what we are. We don't always get it right. But, but, this passage is saying, you can experience the love of God in profound ways amongst this people the church. If we're not there yet, okay, let's talk about how we can get there, but don't sell it short. And this is good news. It's good news for single people who may never find a spouse. You know some of those? I know some of those. Because what it says to them is, just because you haven't found romantic love doesn't mean your love tank has to be empty. And it's a good word for those that are same-sex attracted. Saying you can give up the hope of a romantic relationship for the kingdom of God to obey Christ. And you can still experience incredible love within the church. This is good news for people. It's good news for the hurting. To come in here and be loved. Don't sell it short. That's my point. Don't sell it short. The second thing I would say to you is this. Uh, the selfless nature of love is the fuel for Christ-exalting service. The fact that love is about you and not about me is what fuels my serving other people. I was alluding to this earlier, and I think I pretty much kind of gave my point a few minutes ago, that, that I'm not gifted for me, I'm gifted for you, and you're not gifted for you, you're gifted for others. And some of you, again, might not have the flashy gifts, but God has given you whatever you have to build up this body. If you don't do it, if you don't serve other people, we're not at our best here. You might not want to be a foot because feet stink. But how are we going to get anywhere without them? Seriously, how are we going to get anywhere without them? So whatever you think about your gifts and how you evaluate yourself, God is telling you it is absolutely essential. Because people won't feel loved here unless you step out and use your gift. It's the fuel to serve people. That's what love is. If you serve people out of any other motivation, if you give your body away, if you give everything you have to the poor and you don't love people, it's for nothing. One day maybe I'll find out how many sermons I gave for nothing. You know? Which is kind of a sobering thought. Maybe one day you'll find out how many offerings you gave for nothing. Or how many people you helped for nothing. Because it wasn't motivated by love. And God sees the heart. So it's kind of good news and bad news. It's bad news if you've been serving out of any other reasons, like pride. But it's good news because it doesn't have to be about me at all. It doesn't have to be about you at all. It's always about the other person. That's fuel for service. If some of you aren't serving, maybe the question you ought to ask is, if I'm not helping people... If I'm not looking around and trying to see what I can do, whether in an official ministry or whether just on the side, no one knows about it but God, 
if you're not serving anywhere, you got to ask yourself, what's going on with my love? You know, do I really love people, or do I just say it? Uh, finally, number three, uh, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Go back to chapter eight, First Corinthians eight. Yet another <clears throat> now word here. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So here's the problem. The problem is, and many of you know this, uh, the big controversy was, can you eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol? And Paul's like, you know, we all know idols are wood and stone and metal. They're nothing. They're nothing. But to some people in the church, it's a big deal. Like, you're eating something that was blessed in a pagan ceremony? What? You can't do that? And, and Paul, in one sense, Paul is saying, of course you can. Because the idol's a piece of wood. But on the other hand, he's saying at the beginning here, you may have knowledge that this act of eating the meat is okay, but maybe you shouldn't eat meat at all. Because let's think about it. Knowledge says, I can eat this, but if it hurts your faith, should I eat it? Just because the Bible says I can do something doesn't mean I should do it. Okay? So, and I love how he talks about it here. He says, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. If Paul does something here you probably shouldn't do very much. Uh, the, the verses Eric had his quote earlier, that when we did that responsive reading, he said, the verse said, this is how we'll know we're in the truth, that we love one another. Is it okay? Is it possible to like take knowledge and set it over here and take a look at it and take love and set it over here and take a look at it? It's kind of hard to do that. How, how, do, you, how do you separate love from knowledge? Like how, how, If I said I want you to love God and you said who's God, I'd have to explain who God is to you. If I said you need to love Jesus who, who did the ultimate act for you and you said what's the ultimate act? I don't know what that is. If you never heard it, I'd have to give you the knowledge of it. Then you could love him for it. So is it possible to dissect love and knowledge? Not very easy. But Paul does it. And, and, and he starts to pick it apart. And he's like, I want you to look at knowledge. If you just take knowledge and you base your faith on that and you live on that, just in the knowledge realm, you're going to puff yourself up with how much you know. And you're going to hurt everybody around you. If you love, though, you'll build people up. And then he kind of wants to make, you know, get his point in there a little bit more. You know, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. I love it. He's like, you think you know God pretty well? You don't know that well. And then he says, uh, whoever loves God is known by God. So what would I rather have? Someone who knows a little bit of the truth of God and has a huge love or someone that knows everything about God but has no love? It's easy. I'll take the person with little knowledge and a lot of love. Because if you love God, God knows you personally by name. You're in his book, his book of life. One more thing about this. If you look back at uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, it says, <clears throat> verse 8, 
Love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they'll cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. Knowledge will one day pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. When completeness comes, what is in part disappears. I understand verse 10 to mean when Jesus comes back, when completeness comes, the the in part stuff disappears. So knowledge is always incomplete. But the love you can have now for God is somehow superior to the knowledge. Again, can we pick it apart? Like Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. I don't know your commands. Well, let me give you the knowledge of my commands so that you can love me by obeying them. See, you see, it always is connected. Love and knowledge, love and knowledge. Can I really separate them? Not really, but Paul does it for us here. So let me say something. Let me separate them for a second in a way that might make you uncomfortable. Okay? Just, I'm, I'm preparing you for this. Because Paul does it, so I'm going to do it. Just for a second. Would you rather our church be known for knowledge or known for love? And I know you want both, because I want both too. But, what do you want us to be known in this community for? When I think of Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, the first thing I think is love. It's dangerous to separate them. Because you know what happens when you start loving and you don't have knowledge. You start loving bad things, right? Like we see churches doing that. They've called what is sinful love. Okay, We can't do that. We can't go there. But I'm saying we need to be known for love. Yes, when people come in here, I always hear them say, I love that you're based on the Word of God. And I think that's awesome that people say that when they come in here. Like the preaching comes directly from the Bible. The Sunday school classes come directly from the Bible. The small groups are looking at the Bible. You know, that is so awesome. That was last week's sermon, by the way, if you missed it. But we want to be known first and foremost by the greatest of these. We want to be known for faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. So we have the opportunity to love people. I think you can experience this love in a lot of different places in this church. I think you can feel it in worship services. I think love just comes out when, when, when you're here worshiping the Lord. It just, it's just here. I think it's in our community groups. You know, when, I, when I'm leading a community group and 7.30 rolls around and we said the final amen and everyone disperses, but I get a few people lingering, talking about what's going on in their lives and they start praying for each other, Love. That's love. That's love. 